Oscar Poker. thing i had his number i had his personal number his office number i should say oh well, i'm trying to why am i trying to find mike nichols because i was just gonna say i could pull it out of my address book i, I was just talking to him this morning no <laughs> <laughs> you know me and mike were buddies <laughs> no <laughs> why are you trying i'm always to complaining to george clooney about how i'm constantly dropping names i'm, I'm so guilty of it you know? nah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll plead guilty to, to dropping names, but I am trying to reach him because this this is really what's going on. I'm trying to see if I can. Uh, I asked, uh, you know, this is May. Uh, we're right in the, just about to start in May, and uh, I'm a big Ishtar fan. It's kind of a little thing. Oh, uh, so uh, am I. I am too. And uh, you know, they had it uh, about to come out uh, just days before it came out. It was suddenly withdrawn. From the U.S. market, because uh, uh, you know Warren Beatty had told me on this conversation that uh, they wanted to uh, promote it uh, in a way that would kind of remind people that it has a kind of a cult following, that it has a uh, it's not seen as the uh, uh, as the horrific financial calamity of 1987 and and, and an unfunny movie. A lot of people still kind of believe that, and yet it does have a very nice mirthful tone to it it's got a nice vibe it's got a personality all worked out that's really its own thing and it really does have a if you will a uh, an, an elaine may personality uh so it's 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 not a bad film at all i'm not saying it's a great film i'm not saying it's, it's it's you know it's one of the greatest but it certainly is an agreeable thing and it's, it would be nice to try and reprocess or redigest it in a new century and you know kind of just any so that's the idea so they, they pulled it the last second, and uh, Warren Beatty had said, well, you know, we got to get, uh, uh, you know, so I, I helped a little bit. I, I, I linked him up with uh, uh, Rahendra Roy at MoMA to do a little special Ishtar screening at the Museum of Modern Art. And also there's a, a plan by the Alamo people, Alamo Drafthouse people, who do this kind of traveling cinema, cinematic roadshow thing uh, to uh, do an Ishtar screening in Los Angeles, uh, rent out the... Uh, the American Cinematheque or the Chinese or something like that, you know. Oh, great. Wow. And get Warren Beatty and, uh, and Dustin Hoffman and Elaine May to, you know, make an appearance or do a Q&A afterwards or, you know, one of those things. Wow. Right. For all that, they better let you moderate it. Yeah. Or, that yeah, Pete Ham would probably do the, mo you know, the moderating, whatever. But, but the long and the short is that it's, uh, it, it isn't happening. It's like, you know, uh, and uh, I, I called uh, him uh, twice this weekend. And if he doesn't want to talk about something, he'll say, uh, I have something else going right now. Can I call you back in about five minutes? And then... Oh, who's that? Warren Beatty? 
Yeah, and then and then that'll be it for the day. But he does call back the next day. He's not rude. He does get back to you. But does they, if he, he doesn't really? want to talk about something, he has to leave suddenly the conversation. So, the, so you uh, mean you have you have Warren Beatty calling you saying, hi, Jeff, it's Warren. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Can you? And he's, uh, <laughs> he's a, no, he's a very polite man. But if he, I don't know what, he won't tell me what the thing is. But I know that in February at the Santa Barbara Film Festival at a party, after after they had the big Annette Benning tribute, right. he, he was saying, "Well, I just we just we're going to do this thing with Ishtar, but well, I have to get Elaine on board." Hmm. You know? And there's a look in his face and kind of little body language thing. So, so, so I thought, meaning well, what? She doesn't want to revisit Ishtar because it's too painful, or I I think that she was pretty traumatic for her. It mm -hmm. ended. You gotta you gotta be honest and say it ended her directing career. Uh, she's uh, she's written screenplays. She's not uh, out of the business or anything, but it ended. The idea of Elaine May being a director—that was the end of that. I mean, she was a sporadic director prior to Ishtar. She had directed a few things. She wasn't a energetic, you know, doing a movie every other year type of director. But she was in the game. She was a. But that that movie was such a calamity that it took her hat out of the ring. And whenever people talked about, you know, doing doing any kind of comedic movie, she was not. That was it. You know, do you think it's because, she, I hate to say this in such a fallback yeah. position, but do you think it's because she was a woman? I mean, how many male directors do you know that um, it finishes their career? Is Michael Cimino somebody we could say that uh, his career was pretty much finished, or does he continue to work? I, I, can't, I don't think I've heard. Well, he kept uh, working, obviously, after Heaven's Gate. Um, yes, there's a completely different set of rules. The Boys Club supports uh, men who fail. You can fail and fail upwards. If you're a woman and you uh, wipe out like the way uh, Elaine May did, uh, I think there's a different set of rules, and I think that uh, th there isn't the way back in um, that the guys in the boys' club get to, you know, they get to keep their hand in. So you're right. Hmm. I, I thought agree. Ishtar was funny. I mean, I, th I know that people didn't like it when they went over, you know, over yeah. when they dressed up in the kit, but that is a really funny sequence with the blind camel. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's got a kind of a, yeah, I, I, you know, it's not wildly funny. I, I call it no laugh funny. Other people would just kind of chuckle funny. Oh, God. Uh, I love that movie. It has one of my all-time favorite lines in it of any movie, any time. And, and it's when um, he says to Warren Beatty, who's, or no, when it's Dustin Hoffman who's out on the ledge and Warren Beatty's trying to talk him off of it. And he says, yeah. It takes a hell of a lot of nerve to have nothing at your age. <laughs> I think that's the line, something like that's that. Funny. But it's, it's really, to me, it is laugh out loud funny. funny. I just, I just laugh all the way through it. I love it. I think it's really good. So the whole thing is, I'm just trying to understand why won't they bring out the film? Why don't they go along with these promotional ideas of bringing it out sometime in May, which obviously is not going to happen, or, or would have been set by now, or maybe in June or something? You know, it. it and, and and it did uh, anecdotally come out in Canada. They didn't. Uh, they, it was stopped so late in the mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. that it did go out to Canada. And there's a guy in Toronto who reads the column who bought me a copy the of the Blu-ray, sent it to me in New York, so I have it in my library. But um, they don't. Uh, and it's all done. So uh, you know, whatever reason, uh, it's not happening. So I thought I would ask her. So you you know, why don't uh, are you against the idea of celebrating or reprocessing or, or reintroducing uh, Ishtar to another generation, maybe, you know, find a, you know, thousands of Sasha Stones out there who really, you know, but, have but a there place aren't, in the though. Un I'm sorry to interrupt you. There, there aren't, unfortunately, Jeff. I think it's like me and you, and that's it. 
<laughs> Every yeah. time I bring up uh, Ishtar, it's it's like a such a sore subject. I mean, tr- try testing the waters on Twitter, and you'll you'll hear. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, people still think of it like they do Heaven's Gate. They're just never going to revisit it. And I think that the it really is about when they go overseas and they they dress up in the in the you know. Yeah. It's really about the money. It's about how much money that they spend making it. That's what it but, comes down to. But honestly. that's what it was. That's how it was processed. Um, uh, you know, whatever twenty four years ago. It's we don't have to think about that now, right? We can just watch it and just say, well, is it is it mildly funny? It definitely has. You know, a movie has to understand what it is. It's like a writer or anything. You have to know what you're what 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 you're selling. What you're what the, you have to have a language. You have to have kind of an attitude worked out. It really is a piece. It really is not a disjointed, crazy, you know, uh, commercial flop looking to to just throw a throw a laugh at anything that can it can create you know it's a it's it works it's got a it's got a mood and a tone so i know what what really makes it work i think are the two guys i you know um it loses me a little bit when isabella johnny comes into the picture but when it's just because when it's just dustin hoffman and warren Beatty and the role reversals where uh, dustin hoffman's the cute guy and (laughs) warren Beatty's the dumb guy and you know he can't even say schmuck (laughs) he says smuck Oh yeah, but, um, yeah. You know, it's it's that part of it is so funny. But as soon as yeah. they they introduce the girl and they try to work out all that plot, it it does sort of yeah. you know lose itself. And I think any audience today would recognize that, even if they didn't know that it was, uh, you know, it costs so much money. I mean, do we think that it's going to find the same kind of audience that the Big Lebowski found? Because that movie got terrible reviews when it first came out, and then Lebowski. Uh huh. Yeah. It got terrible reviews, and then now it's such a huge cult favorite. I mean, I don't know will Ishtar ever reach that level. No, it's it's uh, it's, uh, but it does uh, deserve, and it, it is a good enough film for it to be reconsidered and given a, a nice pat on the back, and at least sent sent off into the sunset, saying, "Well, you know, it was a little too harsh the first time it came out. That was then. This is now. It's a funny film. Maybe not wildly funny, but it is a gently funny film that I." could easily watch again. I have no problem with it at all. So, Well, you guys have convinced me. I haven't watched it yet. It's on Hulu. And uh, yeah. I've kind of just always been putting it off and putting it off. And now I have a pressing reason to watch it. <laughs> I don't think my generation really cares about it, to be completely honest. Hmm. I mean... Well, by all means, be completely honest. We just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have... To be honest. <laughs> you know, I'd rather, I guess, you know, I've, I've watched Reds, you know, five or six times. And I haven't watched this once. I'd rather watch, you know, the great stuff from. You mean it's free, uh, Phil? Are you saying that it is free on Hulu? Yeah, and I actually found out about that through uh, your site. I remember you posting about it, and I said, "Oh, wow, okay." You know, I haven't seen Ishtar, and I still have it bookmarked. But if they were going to bring out a Blu-ray as they were intending to until early this year, why would they make it available for free on Hulu? Yeah, it seems like. Very. Uh, Doesn't yeah. that make sense? Don't you withdraw a, a some a platform like that if? Oh no! Wait, it's no. Actually, now it says this video has expired. So it was up for a little while, and now it's gone. There's also. Um, have you heard of you know about Crackle, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, something I have on the phone, and I th- and it's a lot of Columbia titles, and they're just flat out free. You know about this? No, I don't. I haven't heard of it. Well, Crackle is something that you can you know, load on your phone or just go to on the site. And it's got uh, numerous 
Columbia titles that you can just simply watch uh, on your computer. And uh, one of them, until recently, or at least it's 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 there as Ishtar. And I was wondering why would they have it up there? Now, when you try to download it, I just tried it, and I was talking to Pete Ham, and he tried it too. And he it says it's not available in this region. Maybe it's only available in Europe or something. But right, uh, right. In any case, uh, it's um, I'm not. I'm just trying to understand how how the uh, uh, video world works. I mean, I always thought if you're having it out on a particular pot platform, which is Blu-ray, which is a, the elite platform, and you obviously are looking for people to pay money to buy it, uh, it doesn't make any sense to have it available in other formats for the time, at least for a, a window of you know, 60 or 90 or 120 days, something. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's strange. It's it's the whole thing is strange. I, I would love to talk to Elaine May about it. I think if anybody has like ever has like a one on one with her, they could really get into the whole Ishtar thing. Um, That's uh, something that I could just heard. I, I can hear you talking to her because you get her whole thing. And she you guys would be a, a terrific uh, a pair. You know, um, if there's any way I can assist in that, uh, would you like to do a Q and A Q&A with her? If she, if she, I'll, I'll do anything I can to put put in a good, good word for you because I think you'd be great talking to her. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. I would love to talk to her. I just yeah. worship the woman. I think she's brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I would love to either at a Q and A or maybe we could get her on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk to yeah. her on here. Yeah. Have a nice long hour with Elaine May. Wouldn't that, Wouldn't that be, be fantastic? Great? Yeah. Yeah. You should see it, Phil. And in fact, I recommend you look at the old um, Elaine May and Mike Nichols videos. They're all on YouTube. And, yeah. and check out their old bits. They were so, the two of them were so funny. And she, you know, she came out and, and gave Warren Beatty an appreciation, I think, when he got his, his was it the, the AFI tribute or the Cinematech? I think it was the AFI tribute. And she came yeah. out and she was yeah. really funny then, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. definitely. One thing I love about Warren Beatty, uh, Warren, if you're listening, if you're listening to your friend Jeff's podcast, he's so he's always been so supportive of women, you know, filmmakers, actors, writers, all throughout his career. In addition to sleeping with them, he's also been very supportive <laughs> of them. Yeah. Un- unlike a lot of kind of m- moguls that you see now, because back then they really had to fight uh, yeah. t- for women to be in power positions. Nowadays, you can be in a power position as long as you have made money and you have you know success behind you but right. people like warren Beatty back then really did did a lot of championing of, of mm-hmm. so well that's good props to mr Beatty for that so um phil why don't we just briefly discuss what is uh, already been uh, discussed fully by all the box office people because we're doing this on monday rather than sunday uh, so the big uh, surprise was there a box office surprise last week other than the fact that rio continued at the top how would you describe the, the weekend? Uh, no, no big surprises. I mean, the Tyler Perry movie, you know, performed the way you'd expect a Tyler Perry movie to perform. I mean, his movies are pretty reliable. I thought um, he underperformed but for his uh, base, no? It's kind of right smack in the middle. I mean, so it's, it's I, I think it's unfair to say that it underperformed. I mean, you know, it's at about 26 million. Some of his movies do 30. You know, some of them will do like 18. So it's, you know. It's he's all over the place. So you can't call it a failure okay. by any means. Um, Water for Elephants uh, came in at a little lower than where the estimate was. I just saw the number this afternoon and it came in at 16.8, which is about what we were expecting. Our prediction was 18 million. 
Um, but all signs point to this holding up like a champ because it's, you know, it's a, it's a movie that appeals to adults and they'll, they'll flock to it while, you know, Fast Five and Thor and everything like that are kind of, um, you know, in, invading the marketplace right now. So we're all going to see fact. Fast Five tonight. Uh, are you seeing it tonight, Phil? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait till the midnight show for that. I want to see what the the audience reaction is and, and get that whole vibe from it. Because if I'm gonna have to endure a movie like that, I at least want to see it with a you know an, an enthusiastic audience. That's, Absolutely, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. gonna be very fun with the screener crowd, Jeff. But... Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, they're, they're they're not gonna enjoy it. I mean, a movie like that, it's like it's not made for for critics and and media people. It's made well, for. Well, uh, uh, can I just say that I thought that the first one which emulated and I felt really captured the spirit of the uh, old um, American international B movies, uh, you know, the Sam Arkoff movies. Um, uh, and it ended on a moment of real character, which is the, uh, it was a character uh, defined ending, which the Paul Walker let Vin Diesel go because of a matter of honor and trust between them. And, um, he, you know, the cop lets the, the criminal run because what matters to the to him is the extension of trust and the and the uh, you know whatever whatever you want to call it the bonding thing that exists between them more than his duty to the badge and I felt that was a really cool way to end a movie I respected that first one so mm. but then Justin Lin came in on uh, number three number four he's done this is the third one I know this is the 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 third Justin Lin version and the fifth Fast and Furious did anybody see number two three or four <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I saw the first one, and then I've I've seen parts of the other ones, but no. This is uh, how come you got you didn't see it? Oh God! Just no interest. I mean, <laughs> because you, you reviews and and you know you just got a sense that it was because I, I had the feeling that the first one had uh, a sense of uh, it was about something it had a thematic. You know, it was it was obviously a exploitation movie and fast cars and everything, but it had a little character going. And I've got the feeling like the Bond series, you know, the first two were the good ones. And then it kind of became a, more and more uh, about gadgets and, and, and flamboyance and, and, and largeness. And that's kind of what these other films have. Been. That happens to everything. You know, we were talking about it with Meet the Parents. How, yeah. You know, the first one can be original and there's some recognizable, you know, human yeah. traits that the characters have and everything. And then by the time you get to the third or fourth film, it's that's completely diluted and, and they become, you know, caricatures and and cliches and everything like that so did you ever happen to either of you ever happen to see the early version of uh better luck tomorrow directed by justin lynn which played sundance about uh five six years ago i never saw it but i have to say that i used to work at ucla uh school of theater film and television for a while i had a part-time job there and justin lynn was one of the alumni and so i had to do a lot of publicity for him on, mm -hmm. on that movie and uh i know it was very well received what well, was it was it better luck tomorrow or was this his first movie that was that got all the raves one before better luck tomorrow the one that got him in on the map i believe is better luck tomorrow because it was quite a hit at sundance right and that was acquired and the the thing for me is that at the very end uh you know it's about these guys who are into all kinds of uh you know into, into drugs and whatnot it's set in orange county and the uh the 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 finale, the climax, is when one of their own is killed because I forget why he's killed, but they kill him. I forget. Is it because he's going to rat them out or, you know, he's going to, he threat, he's a, he might 
you know, rat them out to the authorities uh, about their activities. Mm. I forget the particulars, but I know that they get rid of his body and, uh, and the lead protagonist says to himself, and it ends like this, that uh, I don't feel good about what we did, but I'm not going to let it get in the way of what my life is going to be. I've got a good grade point average. I'm getting into an excellent school. I'm moving along. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry if this happened, but that was something that happened and I'm not going to have it define the rest of my life. I'm going to move on. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really fascinating ending. You know, it was almost like kind of a generational statement. You know, I'm going to put things in compartments. I'm not going to get all guilt tripped about this. You know, okay, a guy died. I'm sorry. Not a good thing. I'm not going to do it again, but I'm not going to like, you know, go on the cross about it, please. You know, so that was a very, very, that was to me, that was like one of those real home run endings and mm-hmm. then paramount picked it up and they wanted the guy to be caught so they put in a police siren at the end oh all, you know like woo, woo, oh he's gonna oh he's, no really oh it's awful. basically copped out on it which was and i uh don't blame uh, justin lynn for going along with this but he did go along with it and he's got a big career and he's making a lot of money and and doing these you know he's way he's in the club he's never going to be on he'll always be able to, to work and I just well, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me when they take a young director, and I I feel like they take a promising young director. Now they meaning Hollywood, uh, and they just they give them way too much power and too much money early on, and it it really messes with their head. People like Robert Rodriguez and uh, Justin Lin mm-hmm. is another example. I just think that they need, and and some of them can hit the hit the ground running, like Steven Soderbergh when he had Sex Lies and Videotape. He put out a, a and the screenplay for it. He had written something about being a filmmaker and being a writer, mm-hmm. and he said that you know you have to be ready when the opportunity hits. So don't start until you're ready to really you know produce good stuff. Because if you just if you just do it on the fly and you just happen to get lucky with one project, then they expect you to do all this other stuff. Everybody does. Everybody has these high, high expectations, and how can anybody ever live up to that? So you see a lot of these directors come in and go out. You know, they're the flavor of the month. Uh, it's just a little depressing, that's all. But, you know, then they, then I guess then they regroup and then they start working with, with ba- the basics again, like story. Robert Rodriguez, uh, you know, he really needs to take some time away, you know, yeah. figure out what he wants to say as a filmmaker. Yeah, well, he, I don't think he uh, shares your view about how things are going. He's, he's very happy. <laughs> He's like a big king in Austin. Okay, fine. What? I'm just saying, compared to who he was when he started out, the <laughs> promise that he, the check he wrote, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on his future, I just don't feel like he ever really became that guy. You know? I thought that um, he was a, a real uh, powerhouse. I mean, the, to, to make a, a movie as good as what he made for uh, El Mariachi for whatever it was, right. $25,000 or whatever he allegedly spent. Yeah. That was a pretty impressive little film. It really was. I mean, I think people were thinking more like he, he was he was going to do the Scorsese thing. You know, he was that was yeah. a, a bare bones that showed exactly what he could really do as a filmmaker. But uh, he he never quite. He just kind of went right into the genre stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that's why I'm glad um, Aronofsky's not doing Wolverine. I was worried something like that would happen to him. Yeah, you know, where he just he sees all the dollars and you know has yeah. you know more money to spend and it ruins him. Well, so. he, didn't, he didn't exactly get rich. I don't know if he had points in uh, uh, Black Swan. Maybe he did. 
but he did not. Uh, he was. Uh, they made it pretty um, inexpensively, from what I understand. And uh, he had conveyed to me in a conversation that, you know, it's it's a dry period out there. This is not a, uh, you know, this is not a flush time for the independent film market. And uh, I felt that he's sort of paid his dues enough, so that he could. Uh, make a movie like uh, Wolverine, and maybe and do a really good Aronofsky-like job, and then not, you know, and then go back to doing the movie the kind of movies that he really likes to do. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think he. In other words, I don't think he'd succumb and become, you know, Robert Rodriguez <laughs> for, for a better term. You know, uh, I just think he's uh, he's he's Aronofsky. He's a he's a formidable guy. He he knows who he is. I don't think he's soft play anymore. No, that's a good point. I mean, I could easily see him. You know, being like Christopher Nolan, where they're completely comfortable, you know, keeping their individuality and, and working on a big canvas, you know, but there's yeah. always the risk there, you yeah. know. Yeah. He's so. sort of, Christopher Nolan's sort of the exception to the rule because he really did get, you know, given a lot of power right off uh, from his first movie, too. Um, but he really, he's always maintained his, I think, his artistic integrity, even in the studio system, you know, he's, but he's yeah. one of the few that has. Um, so how about this Elvis Mitchell thing? Can we segue into that? That is sure. like the weirdest yeah. story to come out this week. Wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> like, I don't even know how to make sense of it. First, I hear that Elvis Mitchell is fired from Movie Line for mm -hmm. saying that, uh, which, who was the actor who was supposedly smoking a pipe in Source Code? Um, Jeffrey... Right, was supposedly smoking a pipe, right? That's how the story goes. And in the script, his in character. In the script, but script. not in the movie. So mm -hmm. Elvis Mitchell put that in his review, and, um, and controversy then ensued. And next thing you know, he's fired. Well, then they start tracing that to him being fired from the Ebert and the movies. And so suddenly Elvis Mitchell is this strange kind of figure. Uh, well, because he uh, has a history of not lasting in jobs, he, he sometimes didn't show up for jobs. There was a L.A. Times thing that he had, and he, never, he actually didn't show up for it. I'm just recounting what has been reported before. There was a job for uh, Paramount, I believe it was. He, never, he physically never showed up, according to what I read on Nikki Fink's site. Yeah, I guess so. But what do we think that's about? I mean, what what's going on? Is he just he has no respect for the game, or is it that he's, you know, kind of got kind of a bipolar thing going on, or do we think yeah, he's... I think something in there. I, I, it's like I I don't know that we can uh, uh, really do, do it justice and dissect it, but it's something like he's like Ripley in the in the uh, <laughs> in the, uh, the you know the the, the the Patricia Highsmith character. <laughs> oh, he's uh, <laughs> he's not quite uh, the, the sort of person that you have to talk about him. Yeah. He's not Ripley, though. Uh. That would be hilarious <laughs> if he was. But I just wonder what his like. I love the guy. You know, yeah. I loved his writing, and and yeah. um, I've been following him for years because he started out at like Manola Dargis at the LA Weekly, and then he went to the New York Times, just like she did. Right. Actually, I think didn't he do it before her? Maybe. But anyway, I don't I, recall. I think that uh, when he left, I think that uh, A.O. Scott took his place. And then once A.O. Scott was in, then uh, Manola came in. And then he and his I don't know. Do you guys listen to the treatment on KCRW? That's a really yeah. good show. And yeah. His interviews on there are spectacular. I've never heard a single thing that Elvis Mitchell has ever said or written 
uh, um, in his film criticism that would lead me to believe that he's this sort of unstable character. That's what's so weird about this story. It's like it's it's all of a sudden revealing a, a side to his personality that was never really uh, exposed before. Well, I know that uh, if I were in Elvis's position, I can only say that if uh, they had an issue with me having uh, included a detail that I had read uh, in a screenplay and somehow allowed that detail that in my memory to kind of merge with my memory of the film, I think that I could have... Um, explained pretty clearly that, um, uh, you know, this happens every now and then. Uh, I don't think it's that big a deal. Somehow it, it, it the, the pipe sort of uh, seeped into my brain as, as being in something that I saw. I, I had read it in the script. Um, I think it's something that I could just, you know, run a statement about and saying, I don't know how it happened. Uh, you know, maybe it's a Fatigue, or maybe it's uh, free association. Maybe because my 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 right brain is too is too alive, or I, I don't know what it is. But it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that if that was in a public statement. <laughs> my right brain is too alive. And well, that's why I, I, no, yeah. no, I think it's funny. I think it's great. Yeah. But um, but I don't I mean, know why he was fired. Script. Do you think he was he just quit because he was pissed off that they would even question him, or do you think? Which is possible. He might have just said, "You know, fuck you. What are you talking uh-huh. about?" You know. But he, I know he, he had only just begun to find his legs at that site, and it was over before you knew it. So it was pretty strange. Yeah. Maybe. I just, I, I don't know if this is gonna, can be figured out in a in our format here because I, I don't know. I really right. Don't, neither but, of us know him. I mean, did you send him an email? Usually you yes, do. Yes. You did, of course, Jeff. <laughs> He's always on it. You are always. Did he write you back? Yes, he finally did. And what did he say? Well, uh, he asked me not to divulge. Oh, dear. Okay, okay, okay. So whatever you're saying, I have to glean is from your exchange with him. Uh, but no, I didn't, he didn't say that he's uh, Tom Ripley, but I, uh, but I just had the, the idea that Tom Ripley is a interesting fellow who just doesn't, uh, you know, he's not, uh, you, know, you know who's got the best take on it? is Reed Ann Thompson's uh, assessment of it, because she's been dealing with him and has known him since her days at Premiere, and oh. uh, she's, uh, she's pretty good. What does she say? The, What's the gist of it for our poor listeners who don't want to hunt down that article? I can hunt it down. It's right in my article. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean, I link oh. to it, you know. Oh, have you posted a story on this yet? Yeah, yesterday. Oh, you did? Why didn't I see that? I looked at your site. I did it. Uh, it was the second story I did yesterday. Uh, today I did a story about a guy taking a shower for 15 minutes. <laughs> I know, I and your site's blowing up with comments. <laughs> Jeff, that's the, the funniest show. thing. He had to have been masturbating. Come and on. that's uh, <laughs> and I and and He's you know like, I just I was that if you take too long a shower, it says something about you that you're uh, that you're looking to recreate the feeling of being your mother's mother's womb by being. <laughs> Surrounded by warm amniotic fluid. No, no, you think so? My poor. I think that's what it is. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's the, it's very close to what it's like being covered in warm water. It's what you know we all remember pre, pre birth, and I think there's something about going back to the womb for a lot of people, guys in particular, and uh, that's what's going on. I think, and also you know people also say, and I, and I completely understand this. In the shower and driving are the two times you get your best ideas because you're not doing anything. 
Uh, you're not, you know, multitasking or texting or, you know, you're, uh, you're just kind of sitting there. And it's, uh, so it's, it's kind of cool from a creative standpoint. So I understand that. And, but I think that people that just kind of like keep the shower, first of all, I don't, I think it's wasteful. You know, you should be uh, real disciplined about it. You should be a Marine, get in there, get that shower over with two, three minutes, bam, you know, four minutes tops, 10 minute showers. That's really indulgent and it's wasteful. No, I agree. I agree. I have to always knock on the door when my daughter's in there because she likes to sing and hang out. Teenagers especially like to take long showers for some reason. Right. Um, but I think what I like about it is that it's like a it's like getting in the car and driving somewhere. It's like a, you put your life on pause for a minute. Sure. Yeah. You don't want to nice. get out because then you have to take the next step. But when you're in there, you're just on pause and it feels yeah. good to just be on pause. It's like yeah. driving. And you know how sometimes you stop your car, you don't want to get out of it. You just want yeah. to sit there for a minute and, you know chill i completely uh understand that i don't have any you know and as i said it, it is good to do nothing because really then ideas do come to you You're, they really do okay here's what she uh, wrote ann okay. thompson wrote she All said right. that um uh as i've reported before uh mitchell is not good with money or meeting deadlines uh filing expenses or doing what he says he's going to do he has left or lost one job after another from npr the New York Times. Famously, he never turned up for a job he had, he had accepted at the LA Times, nor for a job as a development exec for Sony. He has expensive tastes. He likes Versace suits and staying at the Four Seasons in LA. <laughs> Here's Mitchell in a nutshell. At Sundance, I was standing in line at a snack bar when juror Jason Reitman, juror, please, a juror, juror, Jason Reitman, accosted Mitchell, asking him, why he hadn't returned any of his emails or phone calls. Whiny Mitchell, little bastard. <laughs> Mitchell differed. He likes palling around with the rich and famous, globetrotting and tomcatting with the likes of Quentin Tarantino and Reykjavik and other places. Mitchell is nothing if not flamboyant. He was once stopped by customs officials when he tried to cross the Canadian border en route to the Toronto Film Festival with 12 grand in cash and oh my god 15 cuban cigars and has reportedly <laughs> wrangled with the irs over as much as 500 grand he shows up for dinner invitations some of the time when he feels like it he will take the best offer when it comes he has two-timed his oh, fiance Jesus who loved Christ. him and was committed to marrying him with another woman he'll tell an editor me at premier magazine that a major feature is finished and then wonder why you're mad when he never hands it in He's Elvis Mitchell. He's special. Oh, this is, this is, this is, you know what this is? This is like one of the best things Ann Thompson has ever written. Yeah, it is. The thing about her is she's, she's fierce, man. The woman is like underneath it all. She has like the, this raging lion. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't see it very often, but every once in a while, something gets uncorked and there it is, you know, and this is it. This is great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, I don't mean that. I don't mean to laugh at this situation. Yeah. I don't want Elvis Mitchell to think that anybody thinks anything bad of him because I personally have always worshipped the man and continue to do so. This only makes him more interesting to me. I think he's a fascinating guy. I'm certainly in no way saying this is he's not a good person. I think he's but he is kind of Tom Ripley. He's got he's a, a little Tom Ripley ish. I mean, who knew all this was going on? Is he like a pothead or what? Uh, don't know about uh, getting high. Um, I don't know. Would that be uh, would that link in with everything else? I think getting I, high. I, is no, kind I of, think it would make him a little um, 
fl- you know, flaky in terms of not showing up places or drifting off. You know, people who smoke pot, it's it's half yeah. the time they just sort of disappear off the radar for a while, and then right. they show back up, and then they don't understand why you're so freaked out because you're, <laughs> you're you're living in the sober world, but they're in the stoned world. <laughs> don't forget now that uh, there was um, the Roger Ebert uh, TV show that uh, that um, that uh, you know the uh, Christy Lemire and. Uh, and the Russian guy, you know, um, 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 Iggy, you know, is are are doing. Elvis had that gig, mm. and he that he suddenly that vaporized. Um, Ebert will not reveal. Anne wrote why Mitchell wound up not doing that show, except to say that the reason was quote unquote mundane. I hear the show's salary was too modest for Mitchell. Update: Chaz Ebert had got in touch with Anne and said <clears throat> the reason we let Elvis go had nothing to do with salary but we really don't want to go over it. We like Elvis and wish him well, close quote. I sure wish I knew why that they let him go. I think he's fantastic. I mean, I just think his writing is really good. I mean, when she says he's Elvis Mitchell, he's special. She's right. He is special. He stands out. He's different from everybody else. And that's why people want him. You know, that's why they want him to write for them. They want him on his thing. And he knows that, I guess. Mm -hmm. I just wish he could get it a tiny bit more together so that people like me, his fans, could have more access to his stuff, you know? As it is, he's not, he doesn't write or do anything except the treatment where I can, that I can read, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's a good talk show, and I've seen him do nice Q&As. I saw him bomb out with Warren Beatty once, but then everybody bombed oh, no. out with Warren Beatty. Why? Because oh. Warren is so weird and, like. Yes. Yeah. It, it was, they, he couldn't get anything really uh, frank from him and it was just, just a lot of but he's always so evasive Warren Beatty he never gives you a straight answer does he it's uh, it's it's very rare when he's when he's frank and blunt hmm. but he but he but he is frank and blunt in his own way but he just doesn't do it very much he'll certainly never do it in front of a, a group and he's uh, he likes to dance around and sort of tap dance you know? yeah he smiles and giggles and yeah. shrugs his shoulders and right well that's a shame about Elvis Mitchell what a drag yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times he can do this, but um, I would uh, think that given if he likes Versace suits and staying at the Four Seasons, yeah. hanging out with uh, Quentin Tarantino, I'd want to make more money, mm-hmm. and I don't think that the treatment can pay him that much. So I would, yeah. um, you know, I don't want to get into this too much, but you gotta, you gotta have if you have, uh, you know, champagne taste, you gotta have a champagne salary. That's right, you do, I mean, and you pretty much have to sell out if you want to live that way. But um, yeah. So what's going on next weekend, Phil, uh, uh, box office-wise? What do we have to look forward to other than Fast Five? What do you think it's going to do? Uh, we're saying somewhere in close to $70 million. Uh, It's going to really? be big, I think. Yeah. That's but, you know, things change. I mean, in these next couple of days here, we can, you know, pick something up, and that could, that could drop a little bit. But um, oh, I think it's time for the box office to pop. I mean, it's oh, been a brief, slow couple of months. Can you do a comparison? Um, what, what are the last couple have done? How do you, where do you get the 70? How does it all calculate? Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the last one did really well. It, it, you know, um, hold on. If you give me one second, okay. you guys talk some about something else. But, All right. Talk amongst um, yourselves. Yeah, talk amongst yourselves. As <laughs> okay. Well, Sasha, as long as we're talking amongst each other, um, did, did you yeah, see the little yeah. piece I put up about our little I trip? I did. I did. It looks so exciting. It's gonna. Be, you just. You can't take any pictures of me though and put them on your website. You have to promise. <laughs> Strictly scenery shots. That's all. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe. You okay. So yeah, the the last one did seventy one million opening weekend. opening weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, people like this franchise, and then and throw into that the fact that Dwayne Johnson's in it, and 
you know, hopefully this is the one where, you know, people stop writing about how the box office is down. People aren't going to the movies anymore. If I have to read one more article like that, I'm going to hang myself. <laughs> yeah. so, Do you not agree with uh, that assessment or are you just depressed no, because that it's a, people it's a reality? Panic. Yeah, I mean, they're comparing this year to last year when last year at this time, you know, in the in the first three or four months of the year, you had Avatar making a lot of money and Alice in Wonderland. You don't get movies like that every year. You know, I hate when every weekend there's this mentality that records need to be broken. No, you know, sometimes movies underperform. Does that mean people have stopped going to see movies? No, they're just not interested in what Hollywood's putting out. So, you know, the summer season's here and hopefully, you know, I guess things will turn around a bit. But yeah. I, it just irritates the hell out of me. Those kind so of like the, I get, the first you know, summer summer movie of the season, right? Yeah, I mean, usually you wait till, you know, you have to wait till May 5th is kind of, or the, the first weekend of May is the unofficial, you know. And this, I guess, technically is because Sunday's May 1st, right? Right. But, um, I mean, you like Thor is what I would consider the official kind, or the unofficial start of the, the summer movie season. But Fast, uh, Fast Five is in every way, shape, or, and form, you know, a summer blockbuster, a, kind of like a week early is, is the way I'd put it. Um, yeah, so... You know, the strange sort of demographic that loves those movies are women in their 60s and 70s. Did you know that? My mom wants to see this movie, by the way, Fast Five. Are you serious? I'm wow. To- I'm totally serious. It's the strangest thing. She just she saw the trailer for it and she was like, oh, wow, I want to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I, I quit. It, that throws me for a loop now. I have no <laughs> idea how to figure out audiences. <laughs> what's saying? Why does she want to see it? You must have a theory. What, what's the appeal? Well, is it's Vin Diesel or is it The Rock? It's one of those both guys. Both of them. Oh, they're both in there. Yeah, she likes yeah. them. She likes those guys, those two okay. guys. That's her explanation. And I know that another woman I know who's about 70, she loved the first Fast and Furious. And because she loved it, she wanted to see every sequel. Okay. Wow. I know. Isn't that weird? It's like when I heard that women were a lot of the reason why The Hangover was so profitable. And it's true. I mean, as crude as it is and everything, there's there is a, enough there for women, like even the cliche woman thing of like the wedding, you know, the happy wedding and like everybody turns out monogamous in the end. And You, know. you can't have a movie. Big older women, uh, women. Just, they just it's, like the, uh, uh, the, the the aroma of testosterone. Is that what you're saying? I think maybe it's that he's cute and it's that they like these guys. They like them. I think that, that these Fast Five movies aren't aimed just at men. I do think that there's an element of them that, that women respond to. Older okay. women, you know. All right. Um, older women are people too, you know. <laughs> they like they still like fast cars. And, <laughs> That's you know. right, baby. Actually, they're coming out of the 50s, you know, when they used to do drag races and stuff like that, um, which we don't really do anymore. When I was a teenager, they still did cruising a little bit. Like we cruised down... Um, Main Street in Ventura on Friday night, you know. But at some point, the cops shut all that down. Do you guys remember cruising, either of you? I remember Van Nuys Boulevard very well back. Van Nuys Boulevard, was, yeah, yeah. Back in the seventies, during my lost period, I remember that very vividly. Yeah, my generation doesn't cruise. We no, tweet. You tweet. <laughs> Listen, you just watch American Graffiti, and you'll see cruising. That's what they used to do. You know, that's how you cruise, and and they did all up until the eighties. They were still cruising, right, um, on yeah. a Friday night. Definitely, you know, you get all dressed up, you drink beer, you make out, you drive up and down the street. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. pretty boring. Tom Waits, it? Heart of a Saturday Night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great song. <laughs> I remember a TV report. Now we have our bumper music there, Phil. Yeah, I was just going to say that's in. That's in. <laughs> when was the first gas crisis? In the 70s. 73, 74. Wow. What was the first time when we were, you actually saw big lines to the gas station and uh, people with cans of gas, uh, you know, that's what I used to do. I, I, I wouldn't get in the line. I would park two or three blocks away with my big heavy can and, and walk all the way up to the gas station, fill it up and come back. Oh, you did. That's so cute. But those lines, as you you might recall, they were quite long. I mean, we're talking about uh, a good hour, hour and a half to get to get uh, filled up, you know. Yeah. And we had even and odd days. Do you remember those? Yeah. Even and odd days. You could only get gas if your license plate ended in an even number. Yeah. You know, so maybe right. that's what put an end to cruising finally. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I remember a um, a local television guy uh, saying, look at these, essentially saying, look at these, you know, obnoxious jerks driving up and down Van Nuys Boulevard as if, you know, uh, gas is, you know, the most plentiful thing in the world. And they're just wasting gas and we're in the middle of a gas crisis. So what a bunch of assholes. Um, well, speaking <laughs> of gas, hello, over $4 a gallon. I mean, my God, it's like four twenty a gallon now for gas. Yeah. That's I mean, it is heart stopping, isn't it? How high yeah. it is. So, and uh, there, it could go up higher. Um, I don't know how uh, having gunfire in Libya means that gas costs more, but I think that the speculators are using this to, uh, to you know, fill their pockets. You know? Oh, don't buy that line. I mean, that's such a crock of shit. You know, they, they just point to Libya and say, oh, well, that's why we're raising prices. Much more complicated than that. Yeah, really? um, I don't know. Do you guys follow the, this, uh, this stuff Michael Rupert does, the guy who was the subject of Collapse? I uh, know. Remember that movie? about this? What has he said? Well, no. I mean, he writes about this all the time. You know, peak oil and and the impact it's going to have. Yeah. And I mean, I read a lot of his stuff and and follow this pretty closely. Um, and it's, I've I've been warning people about this for a while because I I've been reading that this was going to happen for a year, and then you had the the guy from Shell, the former president, come out and say flat out, you know, we're going to hit five dollars by twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. average. So. I wouldn't expect it to go down anytime soon, and I would expect it to keep going up. And, oh, God, please uh, don't that's, say that. Oh. That's just the reality. And the worst is going to be, you know, not to get, like, preachy here, but the worst part of it is going to be the effect it has on food prices. Most people don't equate that yet, but how do, how do that, you know, how does food get in, on shelves, you know, mm, through uh, cars? So it's uh, tough times ahead, I think. Tough times ahead. I know when I, I couldn't believe it when I had to stop and get gas, how much it was. I mean, it really does make you think twice before you get in your car and go anywhere. You know, I'm mean, Jeff. Are you still riding your bike around? I have a bike and uh, I use it all the time. And I, uh, the only time I use the car is to go to a screening or to drive to Hollywood for some reason. That's uh, a nightly thing, but I, but I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I use it very sparingly. Sparingly, and I'd be delighted to live in a city where I didn't have a car. Well, you just did live in a city where you didn't have to have a car. Yeah. New York yep. is the best for that. I, right? I, I, there's any number of great cities that don't require cars. This is one of the few where you have to have it. Mm. And um, uh, it's not pleasant at all. For their, for, think of all the people whose regular life involves daily commutes of yeah. 50, 60, 70 miles. That is completely common for many, many hundreds of thousands of people in this overall Southern California sprawl. It's not going to be pleasant. No. Um, so do you just lock your bike up when you go somewhere? 
yes, I just have a I have a lock and key and the whole thing. Sure, that's what I do. And you do you ever take your bike to screenings, or is it just like you can't? I certainly could. I'm too. I guess I'm. I guess the word is I'm too lazy. Uh, but I. But I, <laughs> I. I could easily do that at the ArcLight tonight, for instance. Uh, Fast Five. I could do it. I used to go uh, when I was um, had my last bike before it was stolen. I used to go down to Sony. Uh, not a not a problem. Go down to you know it's about a forty minute drive, three minute drive. It was fine. Nice. Not a and I was I was happy to do it. So. Oh, that's very inspiring. You know, my daughter's school is just a few like maybe half a mile away, and my yoga studio is is only five blocks away. And yeah. I always take my car because I always think I've got to do errands afterwards. But I'm just going to stop. I'm either going to take the bike or I'm going to walk it. That's uh, and and you know that's something you never would have thought about before. But now with the gas the way it is, you really right. have to start thinking about that. Like, how right. can I? And I know a guy who who takes his butt takes the bus to work every day. You know, right. because of that. Huh. I mean, think about I've how always, much money you save oh, that God. way. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. All, right. All right. I always thought it would be great if somehow as a nation we could have you know, for anybody who can today is work from home day every week. So it would be like you know a Thursday or a Wednesday or something. Everybody that is able to work from home does. You know how much yeah. gas we would save by doing yeah. something like that? That and, would be you know, incredible. Those yeah. little kind of things. Yeah, I, I think that's the way, you know, the direction things are going to have to go in eventually because I think a lot of people can work from home. We all do, you know. Mm. I mean, it's it's feasible for a lot of people. Accountants can do it. You know, lawyers can do it. You know, you go for your meetings that you have to go to, but do you really have to be in an office all the time? You know? Well, it's funny because in Europe, they um, in Italy, they don't use dryers. Uh, really, they they have a washer and they they wash their clothes and they put them on the like the the clothesline on the balcony. This is in the summertime, and even in the wintertime they do, uh, because gas has always been so expensive over there. When I was there, um, like ten years ago, whatever it was, busy getting pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it was I went there? It was like gas was already like almost four dollars a gallon at that time. So, you know, it's it's we're just start, starting to deal with that. We never had to really deal with that expensive of gas, but we're going to have to start taking those kind of steps that they take over there where they just don't even use stuff that that takes that requires gas, you know. Uh, uh. But America So eventually are, are we're going to see Fast 5 8 going green. Gonna be, you know, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> It makes the movie like Fast Five again. You know, unlimited gas and gasoline as a uh, uh, as something you can burn uh, endlessly with no issue. I think that that uh, either you know people don't want to think about that. They'd rather just sort of uh, imagine that we're back in the in the days of the '70s and it's American graffiti all the time and nobody has to worry. I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. but it's not uh, what the world is turning to. And and the the, the collapse guy, I think he's he's got his head. Finger on it, uh, feels right, you know. I mean, what 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 he's been reading. I I believe him. Did you see collapse, Sasha? Oh yeah. Oh, it's all oh sorry. yeah, Phil I did. I, I can't remember if I did or not. When was it again? Was it last year? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think I did see that actually. I should see it. Yeah, highly recommend it. It'll be- it'll really change the way you look at, you know, the world. I mean, as cliched as that sounds, I mean, it'll wake you up to a lot of things that are important and and going on and. And a guy who, uh, the only thing that's disturbing about it, apart from what he's saying, is that he doesn't stop smoking for the whole movie. I mean, there's one cigarette after another, deep inhaling into his lungs. It's like, oh. it, made, it made me feel nauseous after about an hour's worth, but he doesn't stop. But that's the only thing. Why does he smoke? I mean, is it just because he's addicted or? 
I think he's addicted, yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's an older man, so yeah, obviously he was wasn't able to kick it and isn't going to be able to now, you know. Yeah. There's a window for that. <laughs> Quitting smoking. <Yeah. laughs> my, so. my sister smokes. It's such a drag. She's my she's forty five almost and she smokes and she's gotta quit and very depressing. You know, as recently as five years ago, I allowed myself to be a what they call a no. no, that was us, Jeff. Last year at Cannes, you and I were smoking. Yeah. How well, dare I get up on my high horse? I can't believe that I forgot I was smoking. It's different. See, it's different when you're lighting up a cigarette here and there in Cannes. It's not the same thing. It's not life. It's it's a time out from life. So I feel it's not as bad. I, I would never look at a pack of cigarettes or on this. Side. Something about being over there because they don't seem to get cancer over there. They don't get, you know... <laughs> Right, so, it's not, uh, not a problem. Are we going to smoke when we're there again, smoke. Jeff? Are we going to smoke or are we going to not smoke? I'm not intending to go there at all, but something no. does happen to you. You kind of like think, eh, you know, maybe I, <laughs> you know, it kind of feed, you know, leaks into your brain that maybe you have one or something. But it's, uh, you know, what happens is that, it, 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 at least for me, it, it, it really has an adverse effect pretty quickly because I'm not, I don't, maybe if you're like the guy in Collapse and he's, you know, he doesn't think about it, but I'm, I think it's, uh, it really makes you sick. Yeah. It, it, it takes your energy away. Um, so I, I'm not at all, you know. At me, that, you know, I wish they would invent something that was as enjoyable as cigarettes that, yeah. you know, they still haven't because it's, it is the nicotine. It is the rush. It's all yeah. of that yeah. stuff. So, right. um, yeah. oh, well, can't have everything. Yeah. So then so we hear it, that sitting, sitting for long periods of time is almost as bad for your health as smoking. Did you read that article last week? They said that if anybody who sits for long periods of time during the day, even if they're marathon runners, even if they go to the gym, even if they offset it with exercise, it doesn't make a difference. The fact that they're sitting for so many hours decreases their mortality by like 20% for men and 40% for women. Oh, that's terrific. That's good <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. So they I, say you should stand up. If you're going to be at your desk, you should be standing at a standing desk or just fidget around or move. Make sure your body's like moving throughout yeah. the day and not just sitting and sedentary. I have a friend who's a kinesiology major and he, he actually sometimes sits on a big, huge, uh, you know, toy bouncy ball, you know, that you'd give to like kids to play with because it keeps them constantly moving and he you know backs it up with science and says this is a good thing to do i can't bring myself to do it i think you look ridiculous but he'll live longer than i do so <laughs> hey phil remember when uh, tron uh, legacy came out sure and that was uh can you recount or recall what it did the first couple of weekends uh yeah sure uh, was it a uh, i remember it being a, a pretty a uh, uh, decent hit the first weekend, but not a overwhelming one. Not a not a uh, you know avalanche by any by any means. Yeah, it did forty four million its opening weekend, and and then it ended at one seven one hundred seventy two million domestically. So it held on, you know. Mm. Which any movie that opens that opened, I believe this the same. Yeah, it opened basically the same weekend that Avatar did the previous year, December eighteenth. And, that's uh, actually pretty good to do forty something and end up with one seventy. That means it almost uh, more than tripled its opening, which is pretty good when it does that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because I I thought it was I don't know where you guys you know stand on it, but I thought it was a great theatrical experience. I saw it in three D. It looked great, and I like the effects. And usually, I can't stand those kind of. It was a horribly movies. written thing. Come on, it wasn't very. Good. Oh well, no, the writing is crap. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but I can almost watch it with earplugs in. You know what I mean? That that's how great it looked. 
you know, yeah. that's what I went on completely. Right. So I forgive yeah. for, you know, forgave it for all the, uh, but anyway, I was yeah. just reading statistics, how since the Blu-ray came out, it's been really quite the, uh, quite a big seller. It's really done pretty well. Hmm. Are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Bron Legacy has come yeah. out on Blu-ray and been <laughs> shot right to the top of the charts and been a very big seller. Made a whole nother revenue stream. A very, very good one. Incredible. Yeah. But I guess that's well, the thing. If you have a Blu-ray player and a high-def TV, you're going to want to see a movie like that, right? Yes, I mean, I that's guess so. an incentive just to see it on your on your TV, I think, would be an incentive. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's, it's yeah. well-written or not, you know, it's like, oh, wow. That's check this like out. that, I can say, is an incentive, but I don't want to see movies like Tron Legacy. I want to see 12 Angry Men on my big 50-inch, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. Yeah, I want to see the, the quality stuff look as good as possible. Then it's really cool. So, well, some people just I, like to see how, it, you know, they just like how it looks. They just like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate to jump in here, guys. I have a, a 4.30 I, I have to take, so um, I'm going right. to have to jump out short here. But All right, Sasha, we're going to have one more. Uh, we're, we're all, just to recap really quickly, Phil, the only thing that's going on of any uh, uh, import next week is, uh, is Fast Five. That's the only one that pretty much has the weekend to itself, right? Yeah, I mean, the only two other wide releases are Prom and Hoodwinked, okay. too. So. Do you think Prom's going to do anything? I don't have a feeling that it has any buzz at all, no? No, no, because it goes back to the whole thing of, you know, teenagers yeah. don't have as much disposable right. income right? You know, um, as they used to. Uh, so. Somebody had complained on, on Jeff's site that we didn't talk about Insidious box office. So can you just do a quick thing on that, Phil, just really, really fast? Oh, that's holding on like a champ. I'm really surprised by that because most yeah, horror movies. Yeah, because remember you said it was going to make like $30 million or something. Is it doing better or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally, you know, defied expectations because like, a, you know, 95% of horror movies come out and then, you know, they land with a thud. Mm. And this one hasn't, you know, fallen into that trap. I mean, it dropped only 20% during its fourth weekend, wow. which is uh, the kind of drop that you see from, you know, uh, a, just a, a quality movie that people are responding to and, and want to see over and over again. And it's already, it's already at 44 million. So yeah, it completely Great. shattered expectations. Yeah, wow. Um, so a really surprising. So it's um, gonna it's film. it's getting word of mouth then too, right? People are saying you got to go see this movie. It's really scary, and you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's the death of torture porn now officially. I mean, this you know the, after the paranormal activities really hit, and now this one, which is along the lines of the paranormal activity yeah. films, they just show you a little bit more. It's the same themes and everything. And people responded to this as well. So good riddance to the to the torture porn. Yeah, so. exactly. Hallelujah, that's yeah. over. So, <laughs> on that note, I will uh, I will talk okay. to you guys next week. Well, yeah, we're gonna have one more. Uh, next week is gonna be the uh, the last one until we go to Cannes, right? Oh my God, okay. really? That's insane. Is it only next two weekend weeks? is our last uh, th three way uh, domestically, and then the Holy following crap. weekend we'll be doing it somewhere. I guess the two of us and Phil and Phil can um, join in. I guess. From the from the states. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it was great talking with you. So I can't believe that we're gonna do. Are we gonna try to just do one podcast from over there? Or are we gonna try to do two? Or I'm fine to do a couple if you want. That'd yeah. be fine. There's, there's more than enough to cover, obviously. So we can certainly cover the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, I would look forward to that. In fact, we could uh, we could get uh, Guy Lodge to join us or something. Oh, definitely, Guy, and maybe Anne. We'll do like a live from Cannes thing, and we can yeah. have all these people chiming in on, on yeah. what they think about Cannes. We should do that. Yeah. Yep. And by the way, there's I'm, I'm going to get my pass today, but the 
um, you know, the Turner Classic thing, uh, the Turner Classic uh, uh, movie festival begins on Thursday night and goes all weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you said that you missed your deadline. Did you ever figure anything out? No, I never did. So you managed to wrangle passes anyway? Yeah. Oh, see, you're the man. They I can't believe you did they that. They completed and rolled around on the floor, and they, they said, okay. Oh, my God. Lucky mm. you. Well, that's okay. I got a lot to do anyway. I got my own shit to do. Mm. <laughs> no. Cool to be able to see these films that I know backwards and forwards and know the dialogue, too. I still want to see them because I, it's rare to see them in quality projection on a yeah. large screen. So that's Absolutely. The, the thing for me. So God, lucky you. Citizen Kane, Taxi Driver, those are the two that I would really want to come out for and see on the big screen. I hope they, they offer a way for people to do that. And to look at, uh, you know, uh, uh, street, you know, they have films like Street Car Needs Desire. They have the uh, Beckett at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning at the Egyptian. They're mm-hmm. showing, uh, you know, Girl Crazy with Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. They're showing... Uh, you know, Dodsworth, Seven Brides, all these, all these, you know, uh, sappy old 1950s movies. Um, uh, oh, it's so fantastic. Oh, I, I should correct what I said about Taxi Driver. Yes, I know Taxi Driver's in theaters or was in theaters, but yeah. um, Citizen Kane, you know, you never see that re-released. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they withdrew, by the way, uh, for some reason they had the guns of Navarone uh, set for uh, this and they pulled it at the last second. I don't know what that's about. Hmm. But, well, that's so interesting that you're going. I'm so glad. Well, of course they would let you go because if they get coverage from you, that's a big deal. Well, I just so, want to be able to, uh, and and oh, and our friend Warren Beatty is going to attend a, a, a post red screening at the um, Chinese Multiplex uh, oh, with great. Alec Baldwin doing the Q and A. And oh uh, man, that's so fantastic! Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Great. So, all right. Well, let's talk about it next weekend. And um, okay. And, uh, and uh, good, good hearing from you. We'll, we'll talk privately about a bunch of other stuff that's okay. coming soon. <laughs> nice talking to you. All right, bye. Okay, bye. Go behind the wheel, your arm around this sweet one, old smoke You've been listening to Oscar Poker, episode 31, with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, and Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com. You can find us on Twitter, at AwardsDaily, and at Wells H. Wood, and we will be back next week with another podcast. Thanks for listening. You're combing your hair, you're sharing your face, trying to wipe out every trace. All the other days in the week, you know this would be a Saturday, reaching your peak, stopping on the red, going on the green, and tonight will be like nothing you've ever seen. Down the boulevard, looking for the heart of Saturday night. Is it the crack of the pool balls, all the neon buzzing, or the double phone ringing? It's your second cousin, the barmaid smiling from a corner of her eye, the melancholy tear. Makes it kind of special Down in the core You're dreaming of them Saturdays That came before the found stolen 
Stumbling on the heart of Saturday Stumbling on a hard Saturday night 